Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. Let's get into the word. I believe that God has given me a, a, a passage and a message to share. If you could open up your Bibles. To Luke chapter 9 with me, hallelujah. Verse 57, Luke 9, 57. And um, we're going to jump into this passage. And um, we're going to have a good time with these few verses. That's all we're going to do. We're going to stay right here on these verses. We're going to go hit up a few verses. And then I'll get out your way and just let God do what he needs to do. Amen. 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 Um, We shared in worship our last midweek. I believe, or it was in our 9.30 huddle. I get confused already with the huddle. And, but at our 9.30 huddle, we shared our last midweek together. And our last midweek was special. If you came, we've been having just some amazing midweeks. And we, we had an amazing study um, through one of Jesus' parables in Matthew 22. And it was the parable of the wedding feast. And we just went through the whole passage verse by verse. And it really did encourage, strengthen, and speak to our lives. And um, I encourage you to come January 9th as we will continue to dig in and um, come before his presence. But as we looked at the parable of the wedding feast in our last midweek service and we went through a Bible study together. And um, some of you guys are longing for Bible studies. Wednesdays are a, are, are a special time where we've been able to do it. We, we spoke of something very important and it's the importance of that, that it's not just about receiving the invitation if, if you weren't here, it's cool. You have something to do throughout the week. It's like a 30-minute message, 30-minute teaching, and it's on our podcast, and it's called um, uh, Come to the Feast, I believe it's called. So, so you could go ahead and hear it still throughout the week. But in that message or in that teaching, we spoke about that, that it's not just about receiving an invitation. How many of you have been invited to a wedding before? Okay, the majority of you all have been invited. The parable of the wedding feast is not just about receiving an invitation. When you read through it, you'll recognize that. But it's about your response to that which you've received. It's about your response to the invitation. Okay? You know, what good is it if you give me your wedding invitation, but there's no response? What what really matters once I get the invitation is the response of it. And you'll see that as true as you listen to the study and you go back to it. And you hear that parable. And we said that. We said, we, we gave this commandment, this urge, right? Come to the feast. Come to the feast. And, and that we were invited, we're to be prepared and marveling in the intimacy the groom has in store for you. Okay? We were, we were invited. We are prepared, which is, was such an important word in that study. And we are marveling in the intimacy in which the groom has in store for us. And when and we see that, that, and I have to go um, into, last week's, uh, mid, into the last midweek study to jump into today's message because it's kind of related to one another not, from what God is putting in my heart, not by the text specifically. But we see that many receive an invitation to attend to the king's wedding feast. In that parable, many receive the invitation to attend in which he is preparing, right? He's preparing a feast for his son. But this is very important. Very few respond to prepare themselves and make an effort to attend the feast. So the the king is preparing a feast for his son. Many, everyone say many. Many. 
Many are invited, but a few attend. A few make the decision upon themselves, better, better said, to attend. It's almost like the verse, and we shared it, and we went into it. Many are called, but a few are chosen. And the invitation was given to many, but a very few respond to what? Not just to show up, because I want you, I want you to understand to show up is not enough. But it's the preparation that it takes in the process to show up, which is what the parable of the wedding feast is about. Don't just show up to the king's invitation, but make sure there is a certain preparation before the showing up even, even um, becomes relevant or even becomes um, the initial becoming of what you will do. It is, it, is, it is the preparation in the invitation that is of most importance. You know, if I invite you to my wedding and I'm paying um, over 100 something dollars for that plate that you're going to eat, um, at least I want you to dress up a little bit. Just a little bit. Do your hair at least. At least try to put on makeup. At least try to present yourself a little bit because you're an invited guest and my family's going to see you. And my friends are going to see you. You kind of want to prepare for the wedding, right? But imagine you showing up and you're like, I made it, here it is. But you came right after your basketball game and you smell. I mean, you're going to stick out. You're going to show that you showing up wasn't enough for you because you really didn't care because you didn't go through preparation. True preparation is the indicator that one really cares about the invitation, not just showing up. I don't want to just show up before the presence of God. But I want to go into the preparation before his presence. Amen? And, and what is this invitation, right, to the feast in the first place that we spoke about <clears throat> in our last Bible study? The invitation, listen to this, it's not for you to marvel at the bride like many people do at the wedding. Wow, she looks beautiful today. I said that Wednesday that I've never been to a wedding with an ugly bride. They're all beautiful. I mean, they all get, I mean, they're fancied up. And it's not, the invitation is not for us to marvel at the bride, but listen, to announce unto you, to announce for you to marvel because you are the bride. And that is two different statements. When you are respond to the invitation through the act of preparation and you show up, the, 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 the announcement when you get there is, woof, look at the bride. It's woof, surprise, you are the bride. And your groom is about to walk in. And, and, and what a shock that is. To announce that you are the bride. That you've been invited to the feast. Not so, that, not so that you can witness someone else getting married. Remember this? But that you've been invited because you're the one that is getting married. It's an invitation for you to journey into a lifestyle of intimacy with beloved. Walk. The father is saying, you've received the invitation. Prepare yourself. Come to the feast. And then what does he do? Introduces you to the groom, which is his son, Jesus Christ. And now he says, now go into the chambers of intimacy. For when? Forever. And never come out. It's an invitation for you to journey into a lifestyle of intimacy. That we never take, we said, the invitation to the feast with God lightly. That we would not be preoccupied with the here and now. How many of us do not raise your hand? Rhetorical question because that would be very weird and awkward, especially for the ones sitting around you that are going to judge you. But how many of us are so preoccupied with the here and now that we lose focus about the eternal realm and the eternal dominion and, and where we will live for all eternity and glory and, I mean, how many of us lose what that young girl looked at us and said, hey, I see Jesus, and it's pretty cool. You know, you could really see him. And you're like, wow, that really happens to people. 
where people really have encounters with Jesus in such a personal way. But we lose out on these moments because what happens to us is we get preoccupied because I'm not saying they're not important things. They're important things, but we get so caught up with the here and now that we forget about him and we forget about his glory. We forget about his presence. We forget about heaven. That we would not be preoccupied with the here and now. That we would not lose out on joyful celebrations, feasting with the Father and our groom, our beloved, who is Jesus. Amen? The wedding feast is a beautiful, it's a beautiful study. You should go and hear it. And many of us here today would admit that we've been called into something greater. I don't think that you guys just showed up today and so many people are vacationing and so many people are out. And you're here today to end off the year. And um, I don't think that any of you are like, I don't know, I don't, I don't think I'm called to anything. Hope not. I hope you feel a sense of call to something. I, I hope God causes your heart to beat a little bit. I, I hope that you're, you're, you're sensitive to that. But I'm sure if, by a show of hands, if I were to ask you how many of you feel, and you know, I'm not asking you, but if I were to, how many of you feel and you know deep down inside that maybe you're not necessarily walking in it, but you know deep down inside that there is a great call in your life that you are to walk in. I wonder how many of you would raise your hand. I know there's something more. Can, can I just like get real intimate and real in your face for a moment with all of, maybe it's not something more. Because that's what you're so used to always thinking, maybe it's someone more. Because sometimes you're like, I, I just feel like I need to be a missionary. And I, I just, that's good. Amen. We need more missionaries. But, but maybe it's, it's God just grabbing your heart and never letting go of it. And you grabbing his heart and never letting go of it. And then from there, you become a missionary. It's not necessarily always about something more. The majority of it, the depth of all this stuff is actually about someone more. And I really hope that really means something to you. Is there someone greater? Is there something greater in relationship that God is calling you to? So there's two passages in scripture, really just one, but one I'll end with, that I want to focus on today. Some translations have titled this passage, if you turn to it in Luke 9, verse 57, the cost of discipleship. Other translations have called it the cost of following Jesus. And maybe you have another one that's not one of those two. It's okay. It's not a big deal. But I think it's important, and I think it's cool that that's what it's called, the cost of discipleship or the cost of following Jesus. Actually, one of the, one of the, a great book that you could ever read outside of, obviously, of the Bible is a book by one of my favorite people of history. His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. If you ever want to read an amazing book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, The Cost of Discipleship, go ahead and buy it. Order it today. You'll thank me. But The Cost of Discipleship, The Cost of Following Jesus. But, but nonetheless, when you read this passage, and as we read it together now, you're going to see that they're actually invitations. It's an, in this passage, it's an invitation. And it's an invitation to something greater. And it's actually someone greater. So the Lord brought me back to this theme. And, and we're exiting one year, 2018, which is crazy. <laughs> How many of you, this is just crazy already. Like, this stuff needs to stop, man. This stuff is flying. Whatever. And we're going to enter a new year. And the reality is that time is going fast. And, and, and the truth is what? Time stops for no one. We went over that last week. Uh, time stops for no one. And I'm reminded of last week, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, that there is a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, and what? A time to die. And there's many other times for everything. But that one struck a chord because I went to a funeral as well. As we shared that message, I also was at a funeral this week. And there's a time to be born and there's a time to die. We come and we go in life. 
Many of you, we went over this last week, experienced death. I experienced someone that I love dearly in my life, and, and she passed away. And we experienced death. And then many of you have experienced life. Someone special to you was born. And some of you, both of them. The cycle of life. We come and we go. But what do we do with the in-between? That's very important to evaluate today. What do we do with the time that we've been given? Are you with me? What do we do with that, what is it, hyphen? Each one of us has been given an allotted time. I can't stand up here and say, you've been given 20 more years, you've been given 80, and you've been given two more days. That would be freaky, right? But I can't do that. I'm not the one that holds time in my hand. But I will say that each one of you is one day closer and has been given an allotted time. Though no one knows when it will be. It's God's for you. But the main question is, or before I even give you the main question is, if we're lucky, we live to 70 or 80 years old, if we're lucky. If we're lucky, we live to be 70 or 80. But we understand that what scripture says, that tomorrow is not promised to anyone. Does anyone, does everyone believe that biblical truth? (laughs) Tomorrow is not promised to anyone. So as we get into Luke 9, I want to take a moment and I want you as we read it and as we're studying it to evaluate your life. I want you to look into your life with the proper perspective of where am I at in life as I exit this year and enter a new year as time has been given to me. But yeah, I don't know when that last second will click. We'll tick, we'll talk, whatever. But it's going to happen to every single one of us. So this passage This moment, we're going to look into it in in, in Luke 9. We're going to read it all together now for a moment. It's right, it's it's a special moment because it's right after Luke, as he writes, says that it was almost time for Jesus to be taken up. It was almost time for Jesus to be taken up. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, this is the place where Jesus, it says about Jesus, forgive me, that he sets his face to go up to Jerusalem. If if, If you went to Israel with us, it's such a cool journey when you, when you go to the journey and then we, we're making our journey into Jerusalem. And the tour is set up like that so that you can get a feel for Jesus' ministry. And then he comes to a place in his ministry where he says, now I'm going to go from town to town. But I'm going to get to the place where I'm finally going to be into Jerusalem so that I can take on the cross. And that's what he's doing. Luke 9.51, Jesus' face is set up to Jerusalem because he knows that that's his fate. That's the end. And it's right So it's right as Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem, and it's right before Jesus would send 72 disciples to every town that he would go as he makes his way to Jerusalem. He sends them two by two, prepare the way for me because I'm going to enter into all these towns, right? So let's go ahead and read this passage just so we could get a feel for it. And I hope hope just by reading it, you're like, amen, I I got it, I can leave now. Let's go into this, ready? Luke 9.57 says, I'm reading from the New King James, it says, now it happened. As they journeyed on the road, that someone said to him, this is Jesus. Okay, let's pause. This is not a parable like um, Matthew chapter 22 was a parable in our midweek teaching. This is not a parable. This is Jesus' ministry and life. Not a parable. He's not going to teach you something. He's he's, He's having encounters now with individuals here. This is real life. It says here, now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. What a statement, huh? How many of you are in worship today? Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And he just smiles at you and says, you sure about that? <laughs> and Jesus says to them, look, what a response. Like, pretend that's you. Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And he looks at you with those blazing eyes. And he says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And you're like, 
Whatever that means. Yeah. Amen? That's what I mean. Hallelujah, amen. Give a tithe. What do I do? Because that was crazy. But, but think about that for a moment. There's a meaning behind that. Verse 59, he comes upon to another man and he says to another, he says, follow me. Everyone say, follow me. How many times have we read the word follow already? We've read it twice already. And what, this is the second person and this is the second time we see the word what? The word what? All right, good. He said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus, imagine this statement. Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. What are you saying? Okay. Pretty rough. And then another also said, Lord, I will follow you. I will follow you, Lord. Like the first one, right? Wherever you go. But let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. Let me say about the fan. So verse 62, Jesus, again being Jesus, says, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And you're like, okay, amen. Three encounters, three conversations, three, respon- three, qu- three statements, better said, three responses by Jesus. Jesus encounters three individuals. And with each encounter, the word follow is a major part of it. The word follow there is a, is a key word. It plays the key role, really, of this passage, follow. Follow, follow, follow. Three times, emphasis, I've touched on emphasis, and there's emphasis on the word follow here. Well, if the word follow is emphasized, then I'm going to look into the word follow and see what it really means. The word follow in the Greek, it means to join in, to accompany in. Ah, that's obvious. But as you go deeper into it, it, the particle of the word, it deals with the word union. It comes from a word in which we, it's related to the word union. So for Jesus, for someone to follow Jesus or for someone, for someone to say, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go, it's almost to say to be in the same way with you. It's almost like when Paul says be of the same mind and be of the same accord, be like-minded, and, 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 right? So, so to say, I will follow you, it's, it's uh, to be in the same way with you. It's, it's like saying, I want to be one with you. When, when, when these men were saying things like, hey, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go, what they didn't recognize that they were actually saying was, um, I'll join in intimacy wherever it takes us. And the reality is Jesus had to... Uh, Cause them to understand, um, do you know the depths of where intimacy with me takes you? Follow me is, 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 is an invitation into, into a place of relationship and intimacy and being, and, and being in union uh, with God himself, with Christ himself. So let's go into the first encounter for a moment as we know that now. As we know the word follow is not just like, oh, I'm going to follow his footsteps. No, it's not. It's, it's, uh, it's I'm, I'm going to be in him and he's going to be in me. The same way with. The word follow is not just like, where you go, I'll go, where you lead, I'll lead, Lord. No, no, no. It's, I'm, I'm in it with him. He's in it with me. It's like we're in this stuff together. Like, 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 like it's union. It's, it's him and me. It's like, show us the Father, Philip says. And he's like, if you see me, you've seen the Father. I'm in him. He's in me. And now you're in me and I'm in you. And, and, we're, and that's what follow means here. So it's very deep. That word follow. It's not, don't think like, oh, I'll just go where he goes and it's cool. Let's go to back to verse 57 one more time. 
Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says again, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. All three encounters. We, we don't see their, their final or their ultimate response to Jesus's to Jesus' reply to them, but we do get to see where their hearts lie according to what they say because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And according to the wordage that they use, we get to see the issues of their heart. We don't necessarily see how they respond ultimately, but we do get to check off some things in their hearts. Matthew 8 shares the same story. It parallels it, and it describes this first individual as a scribe. I don't want to get so deep into that, but whatever. This man, the scribe, tells Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And I said this as I paused as I read it. I said, what an interesting statement that this man would say as he introduces the cost of discipleship or the cost of following Jesus. And he says, I will follow you wherever you go. Because I'm wondering, and I wrote this down, I said, would he still be saying the same thing if he would see the end picture? Think about that. I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus, imagine if Jesus were to look back at him with a smile and say, yeah, you'll go up to the cross with me? Like, like he says, I'll follow you wherever you go. But what would truly be his response if he saw the end picture? There are many things when I've answered the call and when you've answered the call to follow Jesus that it's taken you to places and to things that you would have thought you would have never gone through and places you would have never gone. But it was the process of it. There are some things that I don't wish upon anyone in the lifestyle of following Jesus. But it's still something that I'm to carry and you are to carry because it's part of following Jesus. It's part of my union. It's just like any other relationship that you are in intimacy with. There are some things that you're not going to be able to separate from because it deals with the intimacy between you and your partner. And and, and it's going to define that place of union. So what are we going to do? Well, this stuff's going to have to grow us and make us better. And, and, and sometimes we, we, we don't see the, we don't, no, forgive me, most times we don't see the end picture. We don't see what the result is. And it reminds me of Mark chapter 10. It reminds me of James and John as I introduced this stuff. Because James and John, if you remember, and if you've ever had any kind of study with me, whether it's a discipleship or a marital class or whatever it is, they come up to Jesus in Mark chapter 10 and they say, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That's another powerful statement. Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. Another one is, this is even greater. We want you to do whatever we ask. Like, let me tell you, you're bold just to come up to the presence of the Lord and say, Lord, do whatever I ask. And if you really listen closely to our own prayers, we're not too far from saying that. We probably say, but we mask it a little bit differently. And he says, grant us, they say, that we may sit one at your right hand and the other at your left hand in your glory. How many of you have read that story before in Mark 10? What a, what a powerful statement is. Verse 38, what does Jesus tell them in Mark 10, 38? Are you able to drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? And they said, yeah, we're able. Man, you guys are so dumb. You should have never said that. Because now, now you and all your boys, you're all going to be persecuted heavily for the gospel, for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they were all persecuted and they were all killed for the name of Jesus Christ, except John who was thrown to the island and there he was living in caves. But yet he was still persecuted heavily. I mean, I mean, yeah, we're able to drink. <laughs> we'll follow you wherever you go. All right, cool. You're going to drink whatever I drink. I, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus' reply, to, back, back to this um, passage in Luke 9. Jesus' reply is, foxes have holes, holes, birds have nests, but I have nowhere to lay my head. Everyone say, lay my head. 
Because whenever you lay your head, what is that symbolic for? Thank you. Home. Resting. Thank you. Rest. Home. I, I, Nancy knows this. We've been married long enough. I love to be home. Nancy, different than me, but I love to be home. There's something about the rest of home. There's, how many of you say there's something about your couch? Your couch. The neighbor has a greater couch than you, a more expensive couch, but your couch is your couch, man. Your pillow is your pillow. There's just something special. Amen. I'm not alone. Praise God. <clears throat> but he says something important. In this statement, when, when this man says, I'll follow you wherever you go, and Jesus mentions foxes and birds, there's a reason why he's talking about foxes and birds. He's just giving two creations, two creatures as an example, that they have places to lay their heads. They have places to rest, and they have places to call home. But as I'm living here on earth, I want you to know that as I'm walking amongst you, I have no place to call home, and I have no place to lay my head, and no place to rest. The Son of Man has nowhere to rest, though foxes do, my creatures do do and birds have nests this man who created all things has not one place to lay his head there's something bigger in this statement than just like that was mean no he's going deeper into this man's statement he's going deeper as we end our year into our lives and and, and this reply this invitation to follow him is a reminder and i wrote this down that number one the path of following Jesus is not always easy and is not always comfortable. I thought I was going to get an amen from some uneasy and uncomfortable people. <laughs> but the path of following Jesus is not always easy. And it's not always comfortable. It's not like, oh, I'm with Jesus now. Everything's great. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it's not. Because, because now we have an enemy, and before we didn't have an enemy. Like, like, before I was with Jesus, I didn't have any enemies. I was like one with this world. I was one with this world. I was doing as the world does. I was a free, I don't want to use the word butterfly, but can I use another animal? Free bird. Uh, we're nest bird. I'll use bird. But then I come to Jesus. He transforms my life, and, and then there's attacks now, and there's a spiritual warfare, and there's demons and devils, and there's, there's all, and I'm like, whoa, I didn't know none of these things existed. And, you know, I came from a Pentecostal church, and they started to teach you that stuff real quick. <laughs> I'm like, oh, God, am I okay? Am I going to heaven? And, you know, you eventually are. You're good. I've come a long way from those days, uh, Tito. <clears throat> But the path of following Jesus is not always easy. It's not always comfortable. And if you've ever been following Jesus, for one day, you've been following Christ. You've recognized that it's not easy. My God, was it hard to stay pure before Mary, but was it worth it? I mean, things like that. And then we could go even deeper. We could go into other things. I mean, I mean, it's not always easy and it's not always comfortable. It could be very difficult and uncomfortable, whether it's personal things, whether it's, whether it's things with families, whether it's things with ministry, whether it's things in my walk with the Lord. But this first man that we see here in Luke 9, he volunteers to follow Jesus. The problem is that he might have not um, done a self-check on evaluation or realistically counted the cost. Remember what this is titled, the cost of following Jesus, the cost of discipleship. I'll follow you wherever you go. What is this man showing what is this man showing my feelings are strong about this you ever been strong about something your feelings have been strong about something like i know for sure god's called me to this two minutes into it or two months into it or two years into it, like i don't know if really this is what god was calling me to sometimes god has to take you through the ringer and recognize you didn't really hear my voice <laughs> all right i thought i was the only one 
But, but this is important. The first man, I'll follow you wherever you go. Did you count the cost? He had strong feelings. He was enthusiastic about the situation. And, and, and when you look at this, Jesus may be teaching that this, this man's current motive at this moment, his, his passions, his feelings at this moment, it, it's good and it's fine, but it's not necessarily is what makes you strong enough to keep you and to sustain you with the trials in life that lay ahead. How many of you 18 might have been a year of trials of tribulations of problems all right it does not mean that because you went through it in 18 that 19 is not going to be just like it and worse I don't have no say in that 19 might be better 19 might be worse I'm not going to come over here and tell you the best is yet to come because the best is yet to come might be through trials and tribulations so I'm very careful with saying the best is yet to come through trials and tribulations we always leave the second part of the statement out the best is yet to come we can say the best is yet to come through trials and tribulations (laughs) okay just making sure you understand that Because the best of salvation came through the beating and the crucifixion on the cross and then through the resurrection. I mean, uh, the best is yet to come. It came on that day of resurrection, but it came on the cross and it came on the beating and it came on the bloodshed and it came on that body that was put to shame. The best is yet to come, but it came with a process of trial and tribulation. So when this man says, I'll follow you wherever you go, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But this man that you're going to follow, you say, has no place to lay his head. Are you understanding that it's not just with this desire of, of strong feelings and enthusiasm that you have, but what is it that's going to sustain you when life gets difficult and hard man we ended 2018 amen for some of us it's like finally get over here get off me already and let me join fresh a new year but but this is this is important because as Jesus now is speaking this to this man he's like I don't even have a place to lay my head and and, and what is he really saying here and we've answered it already we've answered that to follow him to be in union with me he's saying is to understand That my comfort is not of this world. Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. But following me, comfort will not be found in the things of this world. So I get it as I enter a new year. I want things to be more comfortable. I want things to be more enjoyable. I want things to be more relaxed. I want things to be more stress-free. You guys hopefully are all with me. But we have to understand that the answers to all those things are not found by the things that are found. I've said found too many times in that sentence. In this world. It's not by the things of this world. Why else would Jesus say, foxes have holes and birds have the nest. But I don't have no place. Following me means... Your comfort comes from another place. It's understanding that my comfort is not of here. I don't, listen, what does he mean by this? I, I mean, this is my, 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 my true interpretation of this. I don't search for comfort in this world. This comfort comes from a supernatural place. What is Jesus saying? My comfort comes from another world. It comes from another place. It's beautiful. Because my first point is, and my first point to this invitation is, what comforts, right? The path of following Jesus is not easy or comfortable. So what comforts are you searching for? As we, what comforts have you searched for in this last year? What comforts will you search for in this upcoming year? Hopefully the comforts that you're looking for are not the comforts of life that are found in this world. But hopefully it's the comforts of the supernatural, intimate relationship of that from another world. Let's get freaky. From another dimension. From another realm. 
for my sci-fi lovers. But it's the reality of it. It's the truth of it. What are you finding comfort? What are you searching? Are we con- listen, are we continually living unsatisfied? This is, this is what God's put in my heart. Because we are living with eyes set on this world and for the comforts of it. I'll say it again. Are we continually living unsatisfied? How many of you, again, don't raise your hand, but how many of you can say, I'm tired of continuously living unsatisfied? Could it be because you're living with eyes that are set on this world? Could it be that you're living for the comforts of it? Are you searching for something that this world offers that you don't have yet and which will eventually continue to make you feel unhappy? Everything, I'm telling you that it's not going to necessarily always make you happy because if you don't find it in Christ, it's very simple that you can make that thing which you're searching for and once you find it, you're God and rather than making him your God and him the answer to that void. This is so important. I will follow you wherever you go. Okay, remember, following me, following me, requires, following me requires for you to understand that I don't operate as this world operates. Foxes have what? You should know this already. Foxes have what? Foxes have O's. Amen. Hallelujah. Foxes have holes. Birds have nests. I don't operate as this world operates. Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But I don't operate as this world operates. What does he say next? But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Did you catch that? This world operates like this. Foxes have holes. Birds have nests. That's the operation of this world. But I don't operate like this world. I have no place to lay my head. It's crazy. Following me is different. It's through a different set of rules. We have no place to set our heads. You've already answered this. Laying your head deals with rest. Laying your head deals with comfort. Laying your head deals with home. Rest is not in this world, and we know that as we leave this year. Rest is not even in the new year. Hallelujah. Rest is not in this world or in the comforts of it. What is Jesus saying? I may cause your journey to be difficult. I may cause your journey to be uncomfortable. But it's worth it because the invitation is to find it in something and in reality it's someone greater than what this life and what this world offers. Follow me, be in union with me and I'll give you the comfort and the rest of another home. So consider this, there may be a reason in your life that your life has not been easy and that your life has been uncomfortable. There may have been a reason for God doing that in your life. Can I get an amen? amen. Hallelujah. I almost want to stay on that point, but we got to go. Verse 59 and 60. Can we read it? The good thing is that we have four more verses. Thank you for not saying amen there. I was testing you. <clears throat> then he said to another, follow me. And what did this man say? Lord, let me first go and what? Pause. That's not a bad, I mean, come on. That's not a bad suggestion. Let me go first and, and let, me, let me bury my dad. 
And Jesus says to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you want to follow me? Go and preach the kingdom. Go preach the kingdom of God. I want us to first note, here it is, never and do not misinterpret this verse. Don't misinterpret this verse as Jesus doesn't care for your mourning or Jesus doesn't care for your family who has passed. That, that is not what this, that's not what this verse and the interpretation of this verse and what this passage is about. It could just really simply be that Jesus knows this man's heart and Jesus knows that his response was not to obey Jesus immediately, but instead to make excuses for not following him. I don't necessarily believe that this, because I'm going to close with Elisha's story. Elisha was able to kiss his family goodbye. But I'm going to share with you what Elisha does at the end of kissing his family goodbye. That is very important. That I don't know if any of these people have, which is why I believe God allows Elisha to kiss his family goodbye. We'll get into that. I'm going again ahead of myself. It is this man's obligation, it is this man's duty here to bury his dead. We know that according to Jewish custom, he needs to do this, bury his father. But in this encounter with Jesus, he's also to learn the priority of the kingdom. And especially the things of the kingdom, even over his family. With, with the first encounter, Jesus may be teaching that the difficulty, in the difficulty that this journey may face. While here we are in the second encounter, and it's only this, that through full obedience, that's what Jesus is calling out from this guy, that through full obedience, one can only do this. Would you be obedient to the call that I've placed over you above everything else? And Jesus' reply to this man is, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and you preach the kingdom of God. It might seem harsh, it might read wrong, but what Jesus is saying, will you live in obedience and die to the things that are behind you? Will you walk in obedience and be in full obedience from this time forward? I believe Jesus saw this clearly, that, this, that he, that this man was, was, was not making Jesus his highest commitment and his greater priority. And Jesus saw that because Jesus knows the heart of every man. And he says, here is a man that says, I want to follow, that is going to call, is going to answer the call to follow me. But yet he's giving excuses before he comes to follow me. But I know that those excuses come from a deeply more rooted issue. And it is that I am not his greater priority and his number one commitment in his life. And he's always going to put other things before me. If I cause him now to start following me, it's going to be worse for him in the long run. So what does he do? He uses his dad as a lesson for him. Let the dead bury their own dead. You go preach the kingdom of God. It seems harsh, but it's not harsh at all. It's because Jesus knew the motive behind this man's heart. It, yes, he was obligated to bury his father. But yes, Jesus now is obligated to reach inside of him and call out full obedience from this man. What a, what a beautiful thing. What, what, a, what a beautiful reminder this is. I believe Jesus sees this. And I love how one commentary puts it. I'm going to read it just like how I read it. It says this. This does not imply that Jesus' followers can never care for their family obligations. But when they do, it must be out of obedience to Jesus, not instead of obedience to Jesus. It's, it's, it's from the place of obedience in Jesus, not rather 
Not, not separated from that obedience. So my second point in this passage is, number one was the path of following Jesus is not always easy, okay? It can be uncomfortable. My second point, point is the path of following Jesus is what? It's full obedience, absent of excuses. That's what I want for 2019. Full obedience, active of excuses. I, 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 just, I, I just want absence of excuses. I, I don't want to give God excuses for my upcoming year. I want to go all in and see where it takes me with I want us to measure. I want us to evaluate this new year, 2019, as we enter it. That we not allow our making excuses cause us to fall short. And to fall short of a great journey in which God is inviting us into. What does Making Jesus, making him your highest priority, your greatest commitment look like in your life. Okay, how do you answer that? How do you answer what makes Jesus your greatest commitment in your life? Easy, watch this. What things in your life need to change? (laughs) That's good. What things you need to confront? What things you got to bury? What things you have to let them bury each other? Let the dead bury the dead. Let the past bury itself. Come on. What does making him your priority, your commitment look like? What changes? What do you need to walk away from? Where will, where will, I don't even know what I write in my notes, you be? What will your focus be upon? Where will there be a shift in your life? Where will the difference be? This is very interesting because Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. You preach the kingdom of God. Because what I believe what Jesus is saying is something that's very important. When he says, let the dead bury their own dead, their own dead things. Because what he's really telling this man is something more important. It's that you're alive now. When you really come to follow me, you're alive. You're alive now when you've come to follow me. In receiving this call, in receiving this invitation, you're alive. So let all that you once lived for and worry for, listen, let it worry for itself amongst other things that you once lived for, which are all dead now as well. Because you're made alive now. Because you made him your highest priority, your greatest commitment. So when I make Jesus my greatest commitment and my highest priority, it is what? The past is no more and let the dead bury their own dead. I cannot mourn over the things that God is actually freeing me from already. I can't, I can't, I can't go back to the things that God is separating me from already. How many of you, 2018 was a year of God separating you from things? But 2019 is a year of good. Now go forward in full obedience and make no excuses because it's so easy to say, but let me go back and, and handle that, which, well, be very careful because notice this passage. Notice what the Lord is calling and drawing out of this man. Will you, even if it's difficult, even if it hurts, even if it was painful, will you still walk in full obedience? I know that there are moments in my life last year that I walked in full obedience. But how many of you could humble yourself and say, there are also many moments in my life where I did not walk in full obedience. I walked in things where like, ah, maybe like I should do it this way. God still sees that I have did it. And God's like, that's not how it works. This man wanted to, well, you know, I almost want to use the word but, but I want to use it for the next one. Let's jump to the next one and then I'll bridge it together. Let's keep going. It says, another one said to him, Lord, I'll follow you. And here he goes. But. But let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. And Jesus says to him, no one. Having put his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. 
I want you to notice the third encounter for real quick. And this is the last verse because now I'm just going to close with Elisha. But listen to this. Listen to this third encounter. It's like the second. It carries the phrase, I will follow you. I will follow you. I will follow you. It's just like the third one and the second one are very similar. I'll follow you. But, but why is it similar? Because the problem is it comes with the clause, right? It comes with, with well, here, here's, the, here's the issue. Here's my part of the deal. Ready? But let me, let me, first, let me first do this. We'll always serve the Lord half-heartedly when our cry to the Lord, when our cry to follow him begins or it contains a but in it. Oh, Lord, I'm willing to, but you got to make sure, like, I have the right job. What do you mean? Lord, I'll do that, but you got to make sure you give me someone to do. What? what? God, I'll do that, but you got to make sure. And we have to be very careful. We'll always serve him half-heartedly then. See, I believe this statement should be like this. I'm going to reread it to you the way I feel like it should be written. Ready? The the proper statement, the way it says it here, right? It says, I will follow you, but first let me go and bid them farewell. I wrote it this way. I will first go and bid farewell to those around my house, and then I will follow you. I'm saying the same thing. I just flipped it. I will first go and bid farewell to those who are at my house, and then I will follow you. But many times, we know how this works. I I know. I'm talking to myself. I'm looking at a mirror right now. I'm not looking at any of you. I know how this works. We word it so that it could sound holy. I word it so that I could sound godly. I word it so that it could look like I love God. And look how I serve God. Look how humble and faithful I am. I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go say bye. And we might look at this text and say, oh, man, these people, man, they're willing to surrender it all to follow the Lord. And I wrote in my notes, no, they weren't. Just like, no, I'm not at times. Because they're willing to follow the Lord if only he would allow everything else to fall in place first. I'll follow you, but, and I have served the Lord in that capacity. I'll follow you, but, man, I'm I'm not going in like that. I'm not going out like that. And I don't want to go in like that. I want that to change. I'll follow you. How about if we say it this way? Even if. I'll follow you even when. I'll follow you even compared to but first. They're willing to follow the Lord. If only everything else fell in place. I don't believe Jesus sees anything wrong, and I'm going to prove it to you with a passage now in the Old Testament, with this man or anyone else saying goodbye to their relatives, especially if they're going to join the mission field. I don't see anything wrong with that. Hey, I'm going to be gone now for the rest of my life, for years. Let me go say goodbye. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't misinterpret this text. Don't go up to someone that's going on the mission field and wants to stop by and visit their family and say, you shouldn't do that. The Bible says in Luke chapter 9, you are misquoting the word of God. Manipulator, you're going to harm that person's heart. Poor person, let them say bye to their family. But the Lord knows the issue. The Lord knows the truth of that heart and what they're really trying to do. I don't think he sees anything wrong. What I do believe is that Jesus saw that this man's heart was, listen to this, was split. He wanted to serve. He wanted to follow the Lord all while not having to forsake all in order for Christ to be his all. I want to do this, but first let me do this. No, it's either I'm all, you're all in, or you're not. Okay, this is important. Jesus knew that this man would live half-hearted because, and I believe this, because look at Jesus' response Look at Jesus' response. Study the scripture accurately. He says what? No one having put, why would Jesus say that? 
because he saw in his heart. It wasn't about visiting the parents. It wasn't about going back home. Listen, it was nothing about that. It was about this issue right here. No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And that's what you're doing going back home. You're looking back. And what is Jesus saying? I'm not, you go forward. And, and, and you keep on. You, you, you don't make excuses. Jesus knew this half-hearted man. He's going to continue. The kingdom of God is not fit for half-hearted people. But for those who are set ablaze with full hearts that are devoted to the Lord. And that's what he wants. So point number three is this. Ready? The path of following Jesus is heart that is fully devoted, staying the course. How many of you know that the path of following Jesus is not just starting? But the path of following Jesus, the journey of following Jesus is about what? Finishing that which you start. It's not even about first place. It's about finishing. It's not even competition. It's about endurance. Staying the course. He who looks back. He who looks back. If you've ever ran going back, you'll get nauseous and you're going to collapse. At least at my age. But if you've ever run a long distance and you've looked back for a long time, you're going to eventually smack something dead on. And it's going, to be, it's going to be horrible for you. You're going to hit a car. You're going to hit a pole. You're going to hit someone. You're going to hit a fence. You're going to run in. You're going to, you're going to die, man. You will go off course if you're running full speed and you look back for a long period of time. And what is Jesus teaching this man? The path of following me is your heart needs to be fully devoted to me and you need to stay on course. Because if you continue to look back as you follow me, there's just going to be a moment in your life where you're going to go smack. And the kingdom is not fit for people that get off course. The kingdom is for those that remain on course even, even, even in the worst of times. Man, you stay on course and you follow me. But let me go say bye. No, no, no. You come and do this. I, I love Luke 5.11. And I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Luke 5.11, the Lord calls all the early disciples. And as all the early disciples are being called to him, I want you to listen to this verse for a moment. The early disciples, which is Peter and Andrew and James and John, are fishing. And Jesus calls them to him. And I want you to look at Luke 5, 11. I think they're going to put it up there now on the screen. It says, so when they had brought their boats to land, look what it says next. This is powerful. They forsook all and they followed him. Powerful. They forsook all and they followed him. The path of following Jesus, it's a heart that is fully devoted and it stays the course. It forsakes all. Let's go through it one more time as I close here. Point number one, the path of following Jesus is never what? Easy and it's never what? It's never comfortable. Point number two, the path of following Jesus is full of obedience, absent of making what? Amen. And point number three, the path of following Jesus is hearts fully devoted that stay the course. So I end with this passage and actually, you know what? You could stand with me and we're going to go to Luke chapter 19 once you get there. And in Luke 19, there's a powerful in Elijah's ministry and in Elisha's life. And I want us to read this together, and I'm not going to necessarily go off on this. I just want you to see the actions and the response that is taken here. Go ahead and, and, and turn to verse uh, 19, chapter 19 of 1 Kings with me. Amen. And look what it says here. 
Let's read together. It says here, follow with me. <clears throat> Elijah says, so he, it says here about Elijah, so he departed from there. This is after the cave. This is after the prophets of Baal. This is after the Lord comes and speaks to him as he's running away from Jezebel. And finally, he's answering this call to follow the Lord. Verse 19 says, so he departs from there. And he found Elisha, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he was with the 12th. And Elijah happened to pass by and he threw his mantle over Elisha. That's very symbolic when you throw the mantle over someone. That man now is yours. That man is to follow your lead, to be your student. You are to be his mentor. Verse 20 says, and he left the oxen and he ran after Elijah. And look what he says. He says, please let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. So Elijah says to him, go back. Go back again for what I have done to you. You look at this and say, well, that's contradictory. This man is allowed to go kiss his father and mother in the Old Testament and the ones in the New Testament can't. I think Elijah saw something special. I think God understood something special here. According to these verses next, follow with me. Verse 21 says, so Elisha turned back from him. This is so important. And he took a yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them and he boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and he gave it to the people and they ate. And then he arose and he followed Elijah, comma, and he became his servant. What a powerful passage this is. I love that story for, for many personal reasons in my life. But I love this story because he's kissing his parents goodbye. And he's going to follow his new mentor. He's to be Elijah's servant. He's going to take the mantle of the prophet. But Elisha's heart is very important to be seen here. He destroys a yoke of oxen. To, only, to understand verse 21, Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them, boiled it, and gave it to all the people. To understand verse 21, you need to go back to verse 19. Where it says, so Elisha who was plowing with the 12 yoke of oxen before him. Why is that important? Because what this man does is he slaughters and he offers up that which represented his old life. He represents, he slaughters and he offers up to everyone. He doesn't even make a profit of it. Shoot, some of us would have been there like, how much you want for this thing? Because I'm about to go on a journey that I have no idea where it's going to take me, so I might need money for me. But I love when Jesus sends out his, seven, his disciples, he says, and take no money with you. <laughs> so you could trust that I am your provider. Just, take, just go where I call you to go and I'll supply everything. He destroys the oxen. He slaughters it, representing his old life, representing his livelihood. And he gives it away to the people. He keeps none of it for himself in case of a bad day. When we serve the Lord, we don't keep things of our past and things of this world in case of a bad day. That's not how it is with Jesus. He comes 
to a place to truly trust God. He comes to a place to truly trust the prophet of God. And when I look at Elisha's life, I say this man is fully devoted and there's no other option, no other option in Elisha's life but to stay the course. And he rids himself of his old livelihood. So he would follow God's will in his life accurately and faithfully to the end. This is what I want to pray for as we close up. 2018 came with, like every other year, with many, I mean, just for our, just for our nation, it came with turns and ups and downs. And imagine our own personal lives. 2018 came with highs and with lows, with fast dips and these great heights to then be taken down again. And now we're approaching the beginning of 2019. For many people, they do resolutions. For many people, they get on diets. They change the way they eat. They change the way they exercise. They change the way they are with family. For, for many people, not all of you. Other people, many people, maybe some of you. <clears throat> and then months in, the way of eating changes again. You go back. The way you treat your family it happens again, you go back. And you go back like sometime in February, maybe March, if you're really good, maybe mid-year, June. Some of you guys are really good with setting these goals and you last the whole year and your life is transformed. Amen. But the majority of people, they go back and they say, well, I tried. I didn't meet, reach out my goals, my, um, my New Year's resolutions. The reality is when the stuff that I'm speaking about today, it's not like that with the Lord. I want us to, regardless of what 18 brought, I want us to enter into 19 with this, with this truth that when we say, Lord, I will follow you, I want it to come from a sincere place of saying, I recognize that when I say that and I accept this invitation, my response and my preparation of it is to understand that it's not always going to be easy and it's not always going to be comfortable, but I'm willing to go for it. Anyone with me? That I understand when I say yes to this invitation to follow you, I recognize it that it's a life of full obedience, absent of all excuses in my life. I'm willing to go for it. Lord, in this new year, as I say and take on this invitation to follow you, hallelujah. Lord, I recognize that it's a heart that is fully devoted to you, that stays the course. That stays the course. And in there, and in those three truths, I'm just, I, I just mentioned three today. In those three truths, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. In those three truths. Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go, wherever you lead. Though it will not always be easy and comfortable. I'll follow you wherever you go, wherever you lead. Though, Lord, it's a call of full obedience, absent of excuses. Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go, wherever you lead. Though it's an invitation and a preparation of my life to stay on track, to stay the course. A heart not that serves you or accepts this call half-heartedly, but a heart that is fully 
devoted for the cause. Whatever life may bring, I stay the course. Bring 2019. Go for it yet again another year. In Jesus' name, amen.